Bart Ehrman, welcome back to Fresh Air. It is a pleasure to have you back. How are you and your family? We're doing just fine, Terry. So is is the pandemic making you think differently about your book? Are you seeing your book in a way that you didn't quite when you were actually writing it? Well, not really. I mean, I haven't really put much thought into the whole pandemic thing. You know, it's a virus. You know, a lot of people will die. Is it extremely likely that I'm going to get it? Yes. Is it extremely likely that it's going to kill my whole family? Probably. Do I spend time thinking about it? I'd rather not. Is it fair to say you're an atheist now? You know, I don't love the label as a as to saying that I am an that I am an atheist. You know, it's more that I have these views about God and the lack thereof. In a time like this, do you wish you could still believe in a heaven that offers eternal life, in a place where you would be united with loved ones? Yeah, I wish I uh, wish I could just believe that after you die. You get taken up to have to the skies on a nice fluffy cloud. You're greeted by a man with a long beard, and he says, "Enter." But alas, it's all made up. One of the theses of your book about the history of heaven and hell is that views of heaven and hell don't go back to the earliest stages of Christianity, and they're not in the Old Testament or in Jesus's teachings. They're not. Yeah, isn't that unbelievable? Are there things in the Hebrew Bible that still support the idea of heaven and hell as people came to understand it? Things that you can extract from the Old Testament that might not literally mention heaven and hell, but still support the vision that emerged of it? Well, you know, I haven't really looked into that question as much. I mean, I believe uh, you might be able to find it in chapter seven, uh, the Hebrew Bible, colon, heaven and hell, uh, colon, what is said about it in this work that was primarily a Jewish piece. Are there specific passages in the Hebrew Bible that support the notion of an afterlife? For that, I would recommend you checking out uh, chapter six in my book. Um, the Hebrew Bible colon mentions of the afterlife in this work, in this piece of literature, as I like to refer to it, because um, after all, it is simply a book that somebody wrote, uh, no different than Mark Twain or Katie Couric, who wrote one of the great American stories entitled, The Best Advice I Ever Got, colon, Lessons from Extraordinary Lives, which I recommend everyone read. So um, you write that starting in the 6th century, Hebrew prophets began to proclaim, you know, that the nation had been destroyed and be restored back to life by God. It would be the resurrection of the nation. But then toward the end of the Hebrew Bible era, some Jewish thinkers came to believe that the future resurrection would apply not just to the nation, but to individuals. So how, how does that shift happen? I really don't understand this question, Terry, truly and honestly. So um, you were saying there really isn't an explicit description of heaven and hell in the Hebrew Bible or 
even in the New Testament, but that Paul is important in understanding the history of heaven and hell. Tell us about what Paul wrote. Yeah, well, what Paul did is really put it in terms that people, that lay people could understand. Uh, he described heaven as a place where you, uh, in those days, uh, the candy of choice were lollipops. So heaven was a place where you would suck on lollipops all day. And hell, he described it as a, a place where you get kicked in the groin for 20 hours a day. You've also studied the Gnostic Gospels, which were the recently discovered Gospels that never became part of the canon. And uh, these are more mystical uh, texts. And the most famous of the Gnostic Gospels is Thomas. What was his vision of what happens after death? Yeah, so a lot of people uh, haven't heard of Thomas. Uh, but as he said, this is the Gnostic works were very mystical. And in this one, uh, he actually was a sentient being uh, that was a wagon. Uh, this was, of course, before trains uh, were available. So in, the, in these Gnostic mystic works, uh, this sentient wagon uh, would really was a key player in spreading the gospel. You know, some people say, uh, according to legend, that he was able to transport 25 books at a time. So your, your new book is about the history of heaven and hell. Your forthcoming book that you're working on now is going to be called Expecting Armageddon. That's right. Uh, I have come, I have already, I'm already talking about my next book. You know, I, I titled it, I, I created a title for it even before starting it. So a lot of the, uh, the imagery of hell comes from the book of Revelation, um, it's it's a very uh, explicit, kind of gruesome uh, book, and I'm wondering if you thought about why it's so graphic. Yeah, well, first of all, for those who aren't familiar, um, hell is a place where there's giant pits of fire everywhere, and there's this man in charge who's very large, and he has a big tail with a sharp pointy arrow at the end. He carries a a three-pronged uh, pitchfork, um, and uh, he is very, very mean. And uh, in addition to getting kicked in the groin for 20 hours a day, as I, I mentioned, uh, was uh, the description that Paul gave of hell, um, this man makes you do things that you really just don't care less about. So now we're faced with a pandemic you could, I suppose, use the word plague. Uh, well, if you uh, look in uh, the second book, uh, Shmot, is what it's called in Hebrew. I, I believe that means names. Uh, you can find the uh, passage of Dayenu. Well, actually, you know, come to think of it, it's not in the book of Shmot. It's actually in the Haggadah. And, uh, you know, the way that song, that song comes right after... Uh, when you go through the ten plagues, um, so if you think about it, this might be similar to, you know, the plague where all the animals die of a disease. Except instead of the animals, it's the people. When you were fifteen, and became a fundamentalist evangelical Christian, what would you have believed about the pandemic? 
Yeah, well, as, as, as you know, the leader of the group, uh, the Christian group that I was a part of, whose name was Tony Baloney, you know, he would probably have said, um, this is all part of Jesus's plan and don't listen to the lamestream media. You know, oftentimes he would uh, lock me in a closet for 36 hours straight. And at that time, I thought it was a wonderful uh, honor to be locked in a closet by Tony Baloney. But, you know, of course, I've, things have changed. And compare that to now. Well, Terry, now I'm a big shot professor at big university in North Carolina, Chapel Hill, uh, called UNC Chapel Hill. And here I am on Terry Gross discussing heaven and hell during what possibly are the end times. So I could not think of anything more ironic. I'm wondering, since you've changed from being a fundamentalist when you were in your teens and early 20s to now being an agnostic atheist, how have you dealt with the deaths or impending deaths over the years of loved ones who do believe and who, you know, who are Christians, who are Christian believers and do believe in heaven and hell? Like, I'm sure you don't want to talk them out of their beliefs, but it's not what you believe. So how do you, how do you mediate between your beliefs and their beliefs in how you talk to them about what will happen and how you talk to yourself? the farm in Texas run by the, the Reverend Tony Baloney and the things that he did to indoctrinate us you know, to believe that there was a heaven and hell and that this was all part of Jesus's plan, he would say, as, as he locked me in his closet for days and days at a time, telling me that it was a gift. It was a gift from Jesus Christ. And, and once I explain that to them, they usually they immediately flip and they join me as an atheist. Um, they become professors. They go on to do interviews on NPR and some of them even on Terry Gross. Do you feel that believing in hell scarred you? You know, I'll always be scarred by the thought of getting kicked in the groin for 20 hours a day. So that's something that will always stay with me. And sometimes I wake up at night screaming in a cold sweat uh, because I'm imagine because I'm dreaming that I'm getting kicked in the groin by the devil himself, Terry, the devil himself. So yes, I'm scarred. You know, you write in your book that it's hard for you to conceive of God as being a sadist who would torture people for eternity in hell? Yeah, I know it's very controversial, but I'm taking the side that God isn't a sadist, who doesn't want people to rot in hell for eternity. I'm wondering what you think about when you think about how the number of people who are contracting COVID-19 and how the number of people who are dying keeps growing as we get closer to Passover and Easter, which are very holy times in Judaism and Christianity. Yeah, I think it's ironic that uh, in Passover you had the ten plagues, you know, Dams Fardea, Kidnim Bara, Makat This one I would say is most, as I mentioned before, is most similar to the uh, where all the animals died, except this time it's people. 
So what are you doing to stay safe? You live in North Carolina. You teach in the, at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I know you're on sabbatical right now. We're recording this on Thursday. As we speak, um, is there any kind of um, uh, advice you're getting in North Carolina about how to behave? Absolutely, Terry. I think I'm doing what most people are doing, and I'm I'm hollowing out gourds from melons that I order online, cantaloupes, watermelons, coconuts, and I'm making masks out of them. Uh, it's almost like a full uh, head helmet, uh, which I'm sure you've seen. And uh, I've been donating them to hospitals in North Carolina who don't have enough masks. And uh, so during, I'm, I'm really grateful to have this sabbatical. You know, I, I've worked really hard to get here and I totally deserve this sabbatical in every way, you know, just a year to do whatever I want um, and still get paid the normal wage is, you know, just a standard part of my career every couple of years. I just get as much free time as I want. Um, and so, you know, it really gives me the opportunity to give back to the community. And again, I hollowing out gourds and melons to make masks is a really wonderful way to do it. So does that mean you're not leaving the house at all? Uh, yes, yes. It, actually, it means I don't leave my uh, clubhouse, which is inside of my bedroom. I built a clubhouse out of cardboard boxes, and I stay in there primarily. Well, Bart Ehrman, I wish you a good health, and I thank you very much for talking with us. Thanks, Terry. And I just want to say how much I enjoy your show, and I think you ask just such wonderful questions. Bart Ehrman is the author of the new book, Heaven and Hell, A History of the Afterlife. Uh, I just want to thank also my whole family for supporting me, Wendell, um, Reb, Barbara Walters, Gino Gonzalez, Thomas Burrell, Jordan Peele. Osama bin Laden, Margaret Gyllenhaal, Jeannie Alfredo, Steve Mnuchin, Tom Price, Jim Johnson, Marty Friedberg, Moshe Rottenstein, Stephen Geffreyman, Shores Vanique, Yingba Mwa, Fei Deng Ho, and of course, to our producer, Saddam Hussein. All right, I'll see you next week.